This week's scripture reading is Ezra 8, verses 15 through 36. Um, and just a personal testimony. Um, it's been a blessing uh, through the sermon series of God convicting me and through our learning community of how to be a shepherd of my own home. Um, and so it's funny that um, we're reading this chapter because graciously me and Amber had the opportunity to start studying this text during the week, and then we picked up on it as we were at the elders' retreat. So um, it's just those moments. And even on Wednesday, we went to community group, how D was like, hold up. I need all the men. Let's go outside and just read the word together and talk about what we feel. And so um, I really am encouraged by this series. It really is calling us back to the routines of uh, the disciplines of the spirit, reading God's word, praying together, and seeking God's face. And so Ezra 18, 15, 36 reads, I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent for Eleazar, Ariel, Shemaiah, El Nathan, Jarob, El Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshalem, leading men, and for Jorib and El Nathan, who were men of insight, and sent them to Ido, the leading man at the place Cassiphia, telling them to, what to say to Ido and his brothers and to the temple servants at the place of Cassiphia, namely to send us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God on us, they bought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mahali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, named Sherebiah, with his sons and kinsmen, 18, also Hashabiah, and with him Jeshiah of the sons of Merari, with his kinsmen, and their sons 20, besides 220 of the temple servants whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by name. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him, seek from him a safe journey from our, for ourselves, our children, and our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy of our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for, is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Then I set apart twelve of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God, that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel their present had offered. I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver and silver vessels worth 200 talents and 100 talents of gold, 27. 20 20 bowls of gold worth 1,000 derricks and two vessels of fine, bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them, you are the holy you are holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are freewill offering to the Lord. The Lord and the vessels are holy, excuse me, the God of our fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers, houses in Israel at Jerusalem within the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. 
Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the twelfth month to go to the Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hand of Merimoth, the priest, son of Uriah, and with him Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. And with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. This also delivered the king's commissions. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people and the house of God. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, <clears throat> let me uh, just say I'm thankful to the Lord, thankful to the Lord this morning. I had a good retreat time with the elders here at Christ Central, those who were able to go. And um, we were able to even go through this scripture over the weekend to encourage us. And I hope that it's an encouragement to you this morning as well. We had a good men's learning community this morning. And um, if you are a man who attends this church, especially if you're a man who's a member of this church, um, I'm glad you were there this morning. And if you weren't there this morning, there's still room for you for next week. There were some empty chairs with your name on it. So I'd like to see you there. Um, this is not like, hey, Pastor's just making a little, you know, light suggestion. This is not a light suggestion. This is a heavy suggestion. <laughs> this is an exhortation. This is me saying, be there if you don't have a reason other than I wanted to sleep in be there. This is important to the life of our church. We look at our families, look at our kids, or look at our wives, or look at our communities, and so many of our men are either missing or they just wimpy because they're not trusting in the Lord. When I say wimpy, I'm not talking about the macho stuff. I'm talking about men who are weak before the Lord who trust in his power to transform them to make a difference for Christ in this world. That's what I'm talking about. And it's a risk for me. It's an attempt for me because sometimes I think I'm pretty wimpy too. I don't trust God all the time. Um, sometimes I surprise myself when I stand up for Jesus. Um, and uh, I need the encouragement of your being there um, too um, as your pastor. So I encourage you to be there. The women's study rolls on. Um, there is a place for everybody to go on Sunday morning. So it's not like, hey, if our whole family goes, we won't know where to go. We know where to put you. There's a place for you. Um, uh, trust me on that one. There are plenty of books. I can order more. Jump in right now. It's not too late. Um, okay, that was a good advertisement for Sunday morning. Um, last week, we were introduced to the namesake of this book, Ezra, and his call to go to Israel, to go to Jerusalem. Well, this week, Ezra finally gathers what I would describe as a ministry team, and they prepare to, and then they 
head to Jerusalem per the king's commission in God's directing hand. Simply put, those in Jerusalem who had gone there 58 years earlier needed help. They needed a blessing and more blessings from God for their situation. And Ezra and this crew coming from Babylon were to bring and be that blessing from God for his people. Last week we focused on how to how we should be recipients of God's help. Well, this week's scripture lesson is about how you and I, who claim to be believers, are not only called to be recipients of God's blessing, but leaving comforts and through turmoil, be givers and carriers of God's blessing from God to his people, to each other. How can we be that blessing from God? Three things I want us to see from this passage that I think answers this question. We must first live serving the Lord. Secondly, we must be willing to live dangerously for the Lord. And finally, we must live carefully for the Lord, serving, living dangerously and living carefully. Look with me at verse 24 in our reading this morning. This is Ezra speaking. Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel, their present, had offered. I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver and silver vessels worth 200 talents of silver, silver vessels worth 200 talents and 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold worth 1,000 darics, and and two vessels of, of fine, bright bronze as precious as gold. Just so you know, they were carrying and given and commissioned to carry about 30 tons worth of silver, Three and a half tons worth of gold and a good bit of bronze. No doubt, this was a pretty impressive weight. And impressive in a whole lot of what I would describe as royal bling. But, but don't miss it because it isn't the weight of the royal bling that makes this convoy and its people heavy. In fact, my commentary said that that this was not an unusually large amount of valuables in the Persian Empire to give for worship. The king couldn't load them with what God, the real king, laid on them. In fact, look what, what happens after they're given this stuff in verse 28. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord. And the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. They were declared holy by God through Ezra as they got the stuff given by God for his glory and given to bless his people in Jerusalem. 
understand this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are holy. You are called a holy priesthood and devoted to the Lord, which means all the heavy stuff in your life, all the people, all the tasks, all the things in your possession are to be treated as holy and have a holy weight, not of their worldly value only, but of their call to glorify God. Now that's heavy. In fact, the word glory in Hebrew means just that, heavy. Bearing his glory in this world means because you are called holy for the service of the Lord to glorify God as a person called to be holy. It means living like those are God's clothes you are wearing and God's car you are driving and God's woman you are husbanding and God's kids you are raising and God's man you are wifing and God's house you are living in and God's TV you are watching, God's time clock you are punching and God's body you are walking around in and as and God's life you are in, in, in the way you're living it and therefore handling your state, your stuff, your, your current situation as holy to the Lord. All the valuable and invaluable possessions that you are and have and carry, not only their own weight, but the weight of being and being used as holy and committed in a possession for God's glory. Then it creates this balance. Because it means that you and I are not allowed to worship or misuse or despise what God has given you or made you in this world. You can't and shouldn't misuse or despise or or worship your marriage or your singleness or your economic bracket or social class or gender. But as those called to bearing the glory of God, it must all be weighed and received in glory to God and used and seen for his holy purposes that he's called you to give him in your life. And serving God has a part two to it. Which means we bear the glory and weight of holy people called by God with holy things now in order to bless his people. Look with me at verse 29. All the stuff he gives them and then he calls them holy. He weighs them down with the glory of God and all these gifts and gold. And he says, guard them and keep them until you weigh them before before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers and heads of fathers' houses in, in Israel at Jerusalem within the chambers of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then, then we departed, Ezra says, from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into our hands, were weighed into the hands of Merimoth, the priest, son of Uriah, with his son Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, and with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Nobadiah, the son of Benui. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. I don't know whether it's obvious to you, as it should be. But these precious gifts 
were never just for the ones who were carrying them. Remember last week's sermon, we recognized that God uses human beings to help and give his blessings to each other. You know, there's this, there was this popular um, gospel song a couple years ago that went this way. What God has for me is for me. Okay, and people be singing in that car. What God has for me, it is for me. Singing and not really thinking because no, it might have been given to me, but what God has for me is for we, right? What God has gifted to you is for me too, right? That's the way the song should go. To take this stuff, to take your gifts as only personal or take some off the top for, for their journey. If they had done that, would have gone against what it meant to be holy, The Bible says it was given to Ezra from the king via God and then weighed out in the priest's hands and then they weighed it out into the hands of God's people in Jerusalem. Ways means it was accounted for. And Ezra divvying out the stuff instead of keeping it under his personal care and calling people by name, it meant this. And it means this for you and me. You are important to what God is doing in his people's lives. Yes, you. You are a holy per people, and and you have valuable stuff that you are hoarding and holding on to that was given to you by God to bless me and we. Wake up and see that you are, are an integral part of God's holy vision for his people. I mean, we are waiting for you to hand it over, that story, that time, that coffee meeting, that cake bring over, that play date, you know, that, that late night talk, you, you actually telling me and challenging me about the Lord as we shoot around playing hoops and, and watching the game instead of talking stats and predictions. Wives are waiting for you to give your weakness and strength to them. It is not yours, men, to protect, go quiet and wound lick. The singles in our church are waiting for some of us families to give some of the richness of what it means to be in a family. But I want to acknowledge with that that some of us are waiting also for God to finish the journey you are on. So that the end of what you are going through will produce a gift that you are called to share. Let me say this. God has taken some of you through a very rough journey. God has taken you through some stuff. God has brought you through some stuff. And in that journey, you bear some very valuable stories, some very valuable insight into who God is. And what God's saying is he wants to use that to eventually bless the people of God with. Which speaks, us, speaks to us with our second point here. Being a blessing from God will require that we live dangerously for the Lord. Which means living with risk in a world of enemies and ambush. Look with me at verse 15. Well, I'm not going to read all this. Too many of those long names. So he gathered the people at the river. 
And what he recognizes, there weren't enough priests there. And then in verse 17, he and sent them to Edo, the leading man of the place of Kisiphiah, telling them what to say to Edo and his brothers and the temple servants at the place of Kisiphia, whatever. Namely, to send us, send us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sherebiah and his sons and kinsmen, 18, and also Hashabiah, and with him Jeshusiah and the sons of Moriah, with his kinsmen and their sons, 20, besides 220 of the temple servants whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by name. A couple things here. Ezra sends out this invitation to Jews in Babylon to return home after being away for over 100 years. For some, this wasn't even home anymore. Most of them weren't even born in Jerusalem. It was like this this vision of of this holy land that they originally were from, but they were no longer in the minds of those who live way back, you thought about way back in in Genesis and and Exodus. They're no longer this Israelite-based, Jerusalem-based Jewish population. And so Ezra comes up short on people who want or were called to be priests. Called to be ministers. Called to minister the stuff to God's people. Because for priests, this was especially risky. Because in Babylon, priests probably had gotten good paying government jobs. And they could count on their paychecks, right? But a priest in Jerusalem was a risky profession and calling where your housing, finances, friendships, associations were not under your control. You were called to befriend and love and serve and, and live as and with ones that, that you were with. And like us, these folks had kids they had families and wives and had stability and their kids were in the top schools in Babylon and in the best soccer clubs there and, and many were comfortable in Babylon in fact get this the journey Ezra was inviting them to was a 900 mile nine mile a day four-month journey on unpaved and uncertain roads. This was back in the day where there were no rest stops. And in this case, no king's help, no highway patrolmen. You want to say hard on the marriage and kids and finances and hard on a settled sense of community? But not only that, but this journey meant they would have to deal with enemies. You know why they fasted and prayed? made themselves physically hungry and weak in their prayer before God? Because they were in part proclaiming that this call to God will make them just that, a high-risk and vulnerable people. They are admitting in prayer what the journey has in store. What verse 22 and 31 says is out there, the enemy and ambushes. You know what gets me when I read that? It doesn't say maybe an, an enemy. Right? It says the enemy. You want to scare somebody? The enemy's out there. Not a enemy or maybe the. It's a definite article. What is Ezra saying? That out there, there are definitely people who want to hurt you. 
On this journey, you are going to face that. Y'all, there are definitely enemies against us, against our call on this journey. Being a blessing of God means that you will be called to live in a world, in a life of enemies, for sure, and ambitions of sin and the devil, because you are walking in this world for the glory of God as one blessed and bearing the holy blessings of God. Sin, the world, and the devil want to take it away from you. They want to steal it as they own their own. They want to own you and your relationship and worship of God. The world, sin, the devil is out there waiting to ambush you. Welcome to Christianity. And others around you. They want to make you run away from God and doubt God and and live with fear in this world to to scatter us and and make you mean and defensive believers who want to kill first and ask questions and love second, right? Let me say this. If you don't want an enemy or experience ambushes in your faith, don't serve the Lord. I can preach you a good, safe Christianity. Don't serve God. Just be nominal Christians. The enemy will like you. Become selfish. Protect yourself. Stay at home in your own world. Come out only and be a part of a church only with people like yourself. As holy people of God called to bear the glory and blessing to God and to his people, especially us leaders, but all of us who are called holy by God, that's all of us who believe in Christ, you are called to take risk and live in a risky faith and face enemies and ambushes to your face to invest in and love and serve the people in this church, in your community, in in this community. And let me say this, because we are a pretty eclectic church even outside of your community and comfortability and circle of friends and natural social circles and neighborhood. Being a blessing for God, glorifying of God as holy, means you will risk it all for God's kingdom. There's nothing safe from God's use. Nothing. If you are seeking and looking for a church community where there is no call to risk, and it's just comfortable and works and connects for you in every way, I have to question whether, according to all I see in the Bible, whether that is how holy people glorifying God and seeking to be a blessing for God are supposed to live. No risk Christianity? No risk community? No risk church? What is that? It sounds like a concert. If you are doing, if you are doing, if you are, what you're doing is finding ways to find someone just like you who lives around you, just like you to be comfortable being a Christian or holding up to avoid attack and hardship, that is not Christianity because acting like that is nothing like Christ acted. who incarnated, who took on everything in every place, not like his perfect self. 
to save and bless this world. In fact, he came to his own knowing and doing things to be rejected by the people he would feel most comfortable around. Let me throw this out here. Not feeling comfortable, settled, ordered, in control, happy, going through all kinds of cosmically caused crap may actually be a sign that you have committed to live dangerously for the Lord. It does mean risking being taken advantage of with your time and resources. It does mean risking not being happy. And and again, not going to the church that checks all the boxes for you and your family because you are called and vowed to be a blessing more than a blessing to yourself. Christianity is not self-protection. Look, when we all come to it, I believe the two. I'm accept Jesus so I can be happy with myself, so I can secure my life. Then you know how God is. You get halfway and he goes, oh, this is about putting you in danger. This is about risk. This is about me stripping you all the friends you thought would be your Pleasantville community. Thanks, elders, for that one. We talked about that this weekend. I have to give cred, you know, that wasn't my thing. Let me ask you, if your life, is your life so open for God to use to bless others and glorify him, so open in schedule, social time, entertainment, and personal time, that is ripe for risk and apparently easy for enemy ambush? Or is it secured by you? Locked down by you? I know there's some hard Christian stuff to hear. I'm sorry, this was just what was in here. Maybe next week it'll be a lot more fun. But putting your wives away that you married and didn't believe in God. Yeah, that's a lot easier next week, right? But only, we are called to assume the position of service. Arms wide open. Ridiculed. Open for our lives to be ambushed. Taken away from our social circles. Taken away from our comfortability. And going to a place where we're called to pour into people's lives and not just take for hours. But only, only as you first assume the position of trust in God. Look again at verse 21 with me, if you will. Then I proclaimed a fast there, Ezra said, at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and and implored our God for this, and he listened to our to our entreaty. Now, Ezra realized that God has called them into a real bind of being holy blessings to his people, right? God's like, okay, Ezra, I want y'all to carry all this gold, all this silver across 900 miles in the middle of the wilderness. And Ezra gets out there and he says that he realizes providentially and brazenly, he declares to the king, what? The hand of God is on us. We're going to be fine. God promises to protect his people. And then he gets out there and he's like, oh my goodness. What have we gotten ourselves into? The Bible says that Ezra is too ashamed to then go back and say, I was just tripping, king. 
God don't want me to be foolish. <laughs> we need some soldiers. We need some highway patrolmen that on, on horseback to go with us. We, 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 got, we, you know, we got 30 tons of silver. We got three and a half tons worth of gold and a good bit of bronze. We got people. We got families. We got 900 miles to go. We, 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 we really need that help. No, the Bible says he refused. He was ashamed. And as someone asked me about that. And, you know, the proper way of thinking about this, he refused to shame God and God's people as those who ultimately needed the king's help to do what God called him to do. Ezra recognized what he should. That God did want them to live dangerously, but not carelessly. This refusal of the king's security was a severe way to learn what they had to and what we need to. That ultimately we can only be and stay holy and be kept as a blessing from God and to others if God is caring for us. The fast and prayer declared, God, we are sitting ducks. You must watch over us. You alone have the power and glory to make who we are and what we do work and remain. And not to have soldiers and horsemen from the king went far to declare that, Lord, if you don't keep us, if you don't care for us in this world, a holy God watching over his holy people, keeping them in the palm of his hand, then no one can and no one else can and should be trusted to. A holy people in this world bearing the blessing of God in a dangerous world, no one else can be entrusted with your care, with your very faith, with your relationship with God, but but God himself, no one can keep you. No one, not even you, can make sure you live well and live holy, not be ambushed in your faith and life and live. No one can keep your head to the sky and your eyes on the prize, but God himself. And so you know what? We live as desperate to the Lord. Let me say this. Even if you have an alarm system, and a good holy schedule, and the right savings account, and the right friendships, and the world seems to love and like you, and you are all in the right circles, and have the right amount of money in the bank, and perfect church with all the connections and ease of fitting in. None of that is what is keeping you and causing you success and security and faith to do what God has called you to do. Which means we live weak before the Lord. And a posture and position, and I'm not talking symbolically, that we live on our knees with our mouths in prayer to God. This fasting they did was not symbolic. They actually stopped eating. They didn't say, oh, we had hearts of fasting. They stopped eating. And they prayed to the Lord for help. I think as Christians, we kind of feel like we should have the posture of prayer, but we really don't pray. We don't really set aside time to really say, Lord, we need you. Somehow we think we're going to, you know, I, I do it too. I think the things are going to work out. I'm like, but you know what? I'm more like a witch doctor, just throwing the bones, hoping that luck would work out on my side. That, that if I just go through the day and keep my head low and, and, and bob and weave and dodge, I'll be okay. We don't really believe God's going to keep us. So 
somewhere we don't believe God alone keeps us. Our lives don't look desperate enough. What is it you think keeps you? You got a good moral family? You think your moral fence is going to keep you? You got the right money. You're doing all the right things. You think that's going to keep you? You got a good daily schedule. You're just a good person. You think being a good person is going to keep you in God's way? Our actions speak loudly. Not the symbolic stuff, not the existential stuff. I'm talking about really praying. I don't pray enough. And I'm a pastor of a church. Because somehow I just think we got it set up well enough to work. Our lives must be lies, as if God doesn't guard it, it will not make it. And it will not be a blessing to others. Ezra saw this, that the king's security force might have caused him to be fooled and hoodwinked into thinking it's easy to do, that something outside of God or something or someone helped God do what he did, and it might actually sidetrack them from being the complete blessing God had called them to be. I want you to look at verse 23 with me. So it says, so we fasted and poured our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Then if we drop down at verse 31, it says, then we departed from the river Ahava on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of the Merimoth, the priest, son of Uriah. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. And with them were the Levite, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Nobadiah, the son of Benaiah. The the whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. And the Bible says, at that time, those who had come from captivity returned next and offered burnt offerings to the Lord of Israel. Twelve bulls were... 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people in the house of God. What I want you to see is that the blessing from God was not just the gold they had. It was the testimony of God's care. Now, verse 31 is pretty cryptic. We don't know whether they experienced ambushes and God delivered them or if God kept ambushes and ambushes and enemies away. I like that because it's probably a little of both that when trouble comes, God brings us through it and he keeps trouble that should come of our, our way at bay. But the good stuff, though important, was only as good as the precious testimony of God's people. That they're being able to deliver God's blessing was about God's faithfulness. 
that these blessings are about God's relentless love of his people, that it wasn't our ability to believe or our smarts or something the world could do to promote or help us. They're not about being selfish and cool and playing it easy and safe. But as you receive these blessings from God, they were saying, no, they are from the Lord, by the Lord, for the people of God to glorify him alone. God is calling your in my life to be an explicit show of God's grace and care. That what you give is laced with mercy. That you are not good, but you're holy. That you are not just blessing, but blessed by God's love. That if it weren't for his grace, that if it weren't for his mercy and for his care of of God, you wouldn't have made it and be it and live it because all you know is that as you were carrying on in this life, called to be a blessing, God by his grace and power was carrying you. It's not enough just to be gifted. It's not enough to just show up and be here. God has given you a story. And the testimony is this. It's not my gifts. It's not my resources. It's how I got here. And the way I got here is God was faithful to me. The end of this passage, this combination of blessing and testimony, giving culminates right where it should. Burnt offerings and sacrifices and thanks to God. The Bible tells us that God's ultimate and final sacrifice and Savior God's people is Jesus Christ, right? He is a sacrifice and celebration and living testimony that God has made us holy, that he has blessed us, and that he promises to keep us and care for us and carry us along the way. And it is testimony, that our testimony of faith is this, that there are enemies out there. There are ambushes. There's our selfishness in the way. There's our own sin in the way. But God was faithful to carry me and deliver us so we can deliver it to you. This is not a story of our strong faith. This is not a story of how we avoided the ambush how we outsmarted the enemy. Our story is this. God loves you so much that by Christ, by his grace, that he delivers blessings through us with the story of the gospel. That it's by grace in Jesus Christ that we're his people. It's by the grace of Jesus Christ that we stay his people. It's by the grace of Jesus Christ that we bless each other.